Hi, everyone. My name is Scott Moss, and welcome to this week's Tech Lasso podcast. I'm joined by my illustrious colleague, Mark Schwantz. And today we have a very special guest, Janine Flores. Janine works with us at the Los Angeles County Office of Education, and she's the Arts and STEAM Coordinator uh, in the Center for Distance and Online Learning, otherwise known as CDAL. And uh, she's been in education for 26 years. She's an alum of the California, uh, Cal State Long Beach and Concordia University. She has worked as a, a visual and performing arts coordinator at the Santa Clara County of Education. And uh, she supported STEAM and the arts for many years. Currently, she's serving as the chair for Create CA and the regional arts lead for California County Superintendent's Art Initiative for Region 11. And we're going to learn all about that in this podcast. So, Jenny brings a wealth of knowledge about arts and arts integration into curriculum, and we are very excited to have her. Thank you very much for joining us, Janine. Thanks for having me here, Scott and Mark. I'm glad to be a part of Tech Lasso. Although I just provided a very lengthy introduction, could you give a, a brief overview of what you do here at LACO? Of course. My department resides in curriculum and instruction, and I'm the arts integration and STEAM specialist, as well as art specific supports for our districts. So that includes visual arts, media arts, dance, theater, and music. One area I want to dive into at our AI symposium in early August, you and our co-host Mark presented on AI and the arts. and. I was unable to attend that session, but I very much wanted to. Could you talk about how these new AI technologies relate to arts and arts education? Yeah, and before the AI symposium, I was able to join in with Mark and you and a couple other colleagues from LACO on the AI explorations that was offered by ISTE, I-S-T-E, and that kind of planted the seed on exploring artificial intelligence in a deeper manner with specifically into visual arts and music. So our session that Mark and I designed at the AI symposium was looking at chat GPT, as well as prompts to create music and prompts to create visual arts images. And the underlying theme for that was to embrace the artificial intelligence, play around with it, get familiar with it, so you can speak to it clearly and incorporate it either with your students or use it as a tool as an educator in your classroom. What I found as Mark and I were exploring this is that language is a huge part of this. So our English learners might have a limited vocabulary, and so to come up with some of the prompts for visual arts and music, might be um, challenging, let's say, for some of our students. But it also is a way to inspire them to develop their language so they can get the desired results either through imagery or sound using the AI props. One of the things that I found regarding the you know, prompt engineering and that aspect of it is that this app called music lm it's a free exploratory tool 
that's available at AI Test Kitchen is uh, is where you find it. AI Test Kitchen withgoogle.com. Amazing thing about it is put in a very simple text prompt, then generate different kinds of music. I thought that would be a great way for students to learn how to use vocabulary that's appropriate for music. It's really fun to, you know, wait a couple of seconds and then you have a little snippet. It doesn't create a whole song, but it's a great way to describe something and then have it uh, generated. And I want to add the power of this iterative process and thinking about text to graphics or text to music where you type in a, a prompt and then you receive your image or music and it, maybe it's not quite what you wanted. And then you go and you iterate and you say, oh, you know, I wanted this image to be of someone younger or I wanted a different background or I wanted I'm thinking of things like shallow depth of field or uh, high key lighting or these other things that might relate to arts education. And what what it made me think of is that in the past where you would learn these terms and then go to apply them, it that cycle was much longer. Now it seems that that cycle between here's my idea and here's what I see can be uh, very quick. And uh, that might be a real boom to arts education. Agreed. Yeah, to apply some of those new terminologies and see immediate results that you generated, how much fun would that be in your learning journey? I have fun with it. I use uh, mid-journey quite a bit. It's it's a lot of fun. And it, all of these generative AIs have been, they continue to astound me, I'll just say that. I want to ask you about this uh, this funding for the arts that has recently become. Could you tell us more about that? Because obviously uh, I don't know much about it. No problem. November 2022 at the California election, 6.9 million California voters said yes to more arts and music teachers in the classroom. And what this funding does is provides funding for each school district to hire teachers 80% of it has to go to hiring certificated or classified employees to teach the arts. And when I say the arts, that encompasses all five arts disciplines. There's also another 20% that can support buying curriculum or supplies or professional development. And 1% of that can be used for administrative costs, such as um, a teacher on special assignment or an arts coordinator or funding for a position at the district office, perhaps. This money did not raise taxes. It is 1% of our state's income. So every year it might change a little, but we will always have 1% of the state's budget allocated for arts and music from now until the end of time or we vote for it. And so the amount for this school year, it starts this school year, 2023, 2024 school year, is about $800 million to $1 million. So each of our districts is getting a substantial amount of money. They are to implement this at the site level. And every public school and public preschool gets funding, as well as our charter schools. This is a very exciting time to be in arts education because this kind of funding has not been around since I went through school. Prop 13 came in in the 70s and kind of just destroyed arts education in California. And we've always been the first on the chopping block. 
And you know, I taught music for 19 years. I've been pink slips two times. It's not a fun process, but I'm so glad that the California voters stood up and said, no, we want this for each one of our students. The other interesting uh, thing about this proposition is there's an accountability factor. The school sites need to report how they're using their funds and that it needs to supplement what is already in place. It's not to supplant funds that have been used previously for music or arts programs. So we should be seeing more art and music in every school in the state of California. That is so exciting. And as you said, arts tend to be the first thing cut when there is when there's budget cuts or any kind of reduction in funding. So very exciting. Now, are a lot of districts already looking for these positions? Or I've seen some advertisements for art teachers, music teachers, and so on. Has that has that already begun? Yeah, it's different for the entire county. So here in Los Angeles County, we have about 80 school districts and we have many charter schools. And everybody's on a different trajectory and pace. The good thing about this funding is that this first year, you have three years to spend it. So it's okay to go slow. I do encourage our districts to come up with a plan and who's going to implement it and what is your priority? What is your objective? What do you want for your students in your community? And who are you bringing into that? So we've done a couple things to support that here in that Los Angeles County. Last year, when the proposition was brand new, we had two Prop 28 funding boot camps and we convened about 50 districts here in Los Angeles County to come up with some action planning steps and start envisioning. Even though we haven't had guidance from the California Department of Education, we can still take first steps. We can do a survey to see what the students and the parents want to see in their schools. We can come up with our baseline data. How many full-time educators do we have right now? We can assess our facilities and our needs, and we can look at our assets. What do we have in place that's going to leverage this and move it forward, as well as some challenges? You know, what is in, inhibiting growing a program? Maybe it is space. Maybe it is FTEs. Maybe it's professional development. So that was last year. And this year, we have started two cohorts on a community of practice model. That's going to be launching on September 12th, 2023. And that we're calling that the Arts Education Funding Community of Practice. It won't be just about funding, but this is the hot button issue right now. So we just wanted to really bring that up. We have had little guidance from the California Department of Education. So we just want to convene people together get inspired by other districts and other ideas and give them some resources that are available from the state, from Create California, and from the Los Angeles County Office of Education to make some informed decisions so that all students have access and that we're offering things equitably to our students. Who is the audience for this event on September 12th? September 12th audience is school district leadership, charter school district leadership. We want people that are in decision-making positions there. So a visual and performing arts coordinator, assistant superintendents of curriculum, 
the chief business officer, superintendents, board members would be the ideal audience for this. If you're coming from uh, the role of a parent or a nonprofit arts organization, we will have other opportunities offered throughout the year to speak to those audiences, either through the Arts Ed Collective here or Arts for LA. And that's our collective impact model. We just all come together because we all need to address this in the region. So that is our audiences. The one cohort is called the central cohort. That's for our suburban and urban districts. There's a lot of unified elementary and high school districts that are here. And then we also have another one for charters, rural and remote school districts. And we group those together because they get a smaller amount and they have a more flexibility in spending if they have less than 500 students. So I think the needs will be different there and we just wanna be sensitive to those conversations and not be taken, taken over by some of the larger school districts that might have more systems that have, are in place. Um, I do wanna mention that the Center for Distance Online Learning is supporting that, the Greater LA Education Foundation, Arts and Collective, which is through the LA Department of Arts and Culture. And um, we're also gonna get support from Create California. And we'll also leverage some information that comes from the California County Superintendent's Arts Initiative. We will have That's links great. to all those uh, relevant resources in the in the description. Can I talk about the keynote on September 12th? Please do. All right, we will have a keynote set in the stage for us. His name is Dr. Amir Whitaker. He is a lawyer and a musician and an advocate for arts education in our schools. He grew up here in Los Angeles and he's activated some youth leaders through LAUSD. And he has been a champion for arts education for as long as I've known him. And I'm really excited to be able to lift him up and set the stage for the work that we're gonna do through the whole year. And then in May, we will have a celebration at the beautiful Getty Center Sounds great. You mentioned that the California Department of Education is not providing guidance, but it makes me think that maybe that opens things up where there's no strings attached as how you need to spend it as far as connected, connecting it to one of their initiatives. So, And then you also talked about having different groups with different needs. So it sounds like a real opportunity to really customize and meet the needs of the individual districts and schools and, and groups. Is that what you are envisioning? That is my hope. And when the California Department of Education is working on those supports and that guidance, they're not not giving guidance. They are going to give guidance, but they're just trying to figure it out because this is really new. This is a big lift to support all of the schools across the state. So my hope for the districts is that they will have support from LACO. They will get the resources that come from the state first, and we can discuss those and implement them with the support that they're going to need. One of the things you mentioned earlier are possible constraints, such as having enough art teachers. Uh, one thing that popped into my mind was time. In our in our work, that's always a constraint that, well, there's just not enough time in the school day for whatever it happens to be. Is that a consideration or is that part of the planning process is making time? or And do you, for elementary school, do you, work on perhaps integrating into uh, other subjects? I'm really curious on arts integration and if that could be a 
way to implement the Prop 28 funds in the elementary school specifically. That would be fascinating. Elementary school teachers have a multiple subject credential, which means they can teach all the arts. They, they might not have a music background or a dance background, but we can give them the tools, like through a program with TEAL here at the Center for Distance and Online Learning that stands for Technology Enhanced Arts Learning. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, and it's an online program. You can access it 24-7. It's a professional learning opportunity, and it's there at your fingertips, and you can explore whatever subject area you want to. So that's one wet thing that we can integrate. The other thing about time in our schools is just having conversations and seeing what other models are working in similar districts. This might be block scheduling. It might be having itinerant teachers on a rotation so teachers can have the least time to do grading or common planning. And master scheduling in the middle school and high school, we need to look at that and how does that work because singletons, I call them singletons, right? There's only one of the class offered throughout the whole day, right? How do you schedule that? I know many a principal and assistant principal and counselor stayed up late at night trying to figure out the master schedule. So we'll have those discussions throughout the whole year. So I hope you'll, uh, everyone who's listening can participate or let their leaders know. And for those of you who have never had to deal with a secondary school master schedule, I will tell you, it is the most complicated thing in the history of humanity. It's <laughs> so crazy hard. I, I had a job where we were in charge of training for that. And just to wrap your head around it is it's incredibly complex so that is a challenge for for arts education is to put things into the uh, master schedule at the secondary level could you uh, you talked about teal in relation to this could you just tell us a little bit more about teal for those of us who don't know much about it i'd be glad to so technology enhanced arts learning or we call it teal for short is an arts integration professional learning series for TK through grade six, grade eight teachers. And it goes into social emotional learning, STEAM, as well as all the five arts disciplines of visual arts, media arts, music, dance, and theater. It gives the teacher skills to incorporate those disciplines into their classroom alongside their regular curriculum. We don't want it to be one more thing. We want it to be a yes and. So I can teach dance, and the cycle of a butterfly and one lesson. And if I assess it with the arts, with the dance, as well as the science standards, that is arts integration. So we have had funding for this for about 10 years. It's been very well received here in Los Angeles County. And we've also had it implemented outside of Los Angeles County. And you can reach that at Teal Arts .laco.org, I believe, and you can check out our resources. We have online website resources as well as an online course that you can go through and really dig deeper and get that deep learning and knowledge. And, and this is free for anybody? This is free. We will. I've seen the website and just the images on there of, of the things that you do were just heartwarming and inspirational and, and very exciting. I also love the example that you just provided of teaching about butterflies while at the same time teaching dance and that kind of integration 
does require a bit more planning. However, it's it's worth it. I would venture to guess that the students who participate in that lesson knew and remembered more about butterflies than if they had done it in, you know, let's say a more conventional way. So I think that's outstanding. And I think that's a way to really proceed to make both areas more relevant, I think. And Scott, I'd also like to mention that also brings in the TPR, that's the total physical response, which is a strategy for English learners in ELD. And TEAL is the foundation for one of our English language learners through the arts grants. We call that ESELA. And we are integrating dance into the curriculum this year. We're just going to focus on three strategies with our districts that are part of this grant. We have two here in Los Angeles County and one in Merced County. So we're going to be exploring that as well. I was going to say, Tech Lasso listeners, there will be an acronym quiz at the end of the podcast. So we'll, we'll see how well you remember these. Well, Janine, I have a question that I'd like to pose, and it has to do with arts and the impact of technology. So I, a little bit of uh, background, you know, I, I recall when I first got to be a part of band, that was in middle school, right? And there was a lot of noisy horns and there were percussion and everything. But I thought today it's probably a lot different, right? Because technology is uh, affecting arts education and not, not just music. But can you speak to some ways that you see technology impacting music and arts education? Gladly. During the pandemic, we had to teach online. So that was the first time we really had to leverage the technology. And as a former musician and music teacher myself, Soundtrap for Education was a platform that students could collaborate and compose music on. That was fantastic. What a great way to do that. Uh, our students are already creating and making. Right? Media arts is making art through computers. So if they made a TikTok and had sounds and they edited the video, this would be a media arts standard that we would be addressing. So the students are using the technology and we need to embrace it. We can record ourselves. We can play it back. We can take photographs of our artwork and share it with others and get feedback. And we can use video to record ourselves dancing, or we can also use technology to record ourselves in our monologue and theater. There's lots of ways to incorporate technology. There has to be a balance between the technical learning of the instrument, the technique of learning the dance, technique of being an actor with using these technology tools to reflect personally, assess, critique. That's a huge part of our California art standards. And I wouldn't be afraid of them. I think there's a lot of classrooms that are very traditional. And I think there's some that have been embracing the technology. I like to see everybody incorporate the technology into their classroom in some form, either maybe that's responding to art, which is one of our standards, connecting to others or connecting it to something else, perhaps even creating. We talked a little bit earlier about the AI and creating. That would be really good. So I would urge teachers and parents to see what the kids can do with their iPads or their phones or computers with some of the cloud-based software. There are certain ones that are very good. 
and have really good privacy laws and firewalls. Just be cautious and vet anything that's free. We want to make sure our students aren't inundated with ads. I could hear our more skeptical listeners uh, listening to your example about creating a TikTok video and, and perhaps thinking that is not a robust activity. But I, you mentioned media arts, you mentioned creation, and you mentioned critique. And I know that when one learns how to critique media, that they it informs their uh, creation of that. And I think in terms of kids, this is the way I think is about media literacy. And there may be just too many labels out there you know, media arts critique and media literacy, but I see them as overlapping. What do you, do you see the role of media literacy in these arts standards? Yes. Media literacy is in the media arts standards as we're teaching it from TK all the way through grade 12. It's not just in high school. We can teach this in elementary school. We can teach it with our littles. We can teach them some media literacy as well as media creation. I think it's fantastic. We need to do that. And uh, I think teachers need to understand the platform that they're going to use and make sure they're vetting it, following Tech Lasso and some of the LACO trainings on certain platforms that we have. These are ones that are tried and true in education and the Google Suite and the Google Extensions. There's lots of ways to explore it in many ways. It doesn't have to be the be-all, end-all but I can create something in response to a concert, a show, a dance. And I think a lot of people will hear the words media literacy and think that just sounds too hard for the little ones, but I'll tell you that it can be done. And if you think about it, even very young kids have certain media literacy and they, you know, getting back to AI, young kids know that if I watch a lot of, soccer videos on youtube i'm going to get more soccer videos but as far as you know creation oh here's the music that's you know how do you know darth vader is the bad guy well they play this music and it's dark and even very young kids can do those kinds of things so i just want to kind of put that out there that media literacy can be done even at the youngest levels we also have to prepare our students for their future not what we're comfortable teaching mark and i when we presented on the AI symposium, I spoke to the future of jobs report from the World Economic Forum and how AI is going to be a big influencer over the next five to 40 years and that our students are going to be using and embracing technology. Students still need to be able to communicate, use their creative thinking skills, problem solves, and the arts teach that so wonderfully. It's like inherent in my brain. I, it's hard for me to express, but I hope you, if you work in a group or you're working on a project and the design changes over time because of the iterative process, that's a huge skill that our students are going to need moving forward because we don't know what they're going to do. They're not going to be working on an assembly line. They're going to be having many careers in their lifetime and they're going to have to know how to relate to humans as well as computers. It's a great point. On the podcast and at the AI Symposium, we had Kat Goyette, who is the computer science coordinator for the California Department of Education. And she said that people are worried about AI replacing them, replacing their jobs, but we should probably be more worried about somebody who is very good at AI replacing 
replacing them. And as you were saying, the skills, you know, reading and writing skills, people think, well, these may be obsolete because of generative AI. And I think the opposite is true. When you get an output from whether it's text or image or music, you have to have that critical eye to know how to shape it and not just take what you know, the first thing that that the that the technology gives you. Another thing that I saw listed in your many accomplishments and activities is something called Poetry Out Loud. Could you tell us more about that? Yes. Poetry Out Loud is a national poetry recitation contest. And there's a national winner that gets a big cash prize. There's a state winner that gets a big cash prize. And there's a regional winner that gets a cash prize. And Los Angeles County Office of Education has been the host of Poetry Out Loud here in LA County for at least 15 years now. It is funded by the California Arts Council, the National Endowment of the Arts, as well as the LA Department of Arts and Culture. And we convene students to memorize a poem from the anthology. It's all online. There's even an app students can download the poems to their phone and practice them. It's very hip and cool. So we have a competition. The competition runs in January. We have a celebration in February. But between now and November is a good time for schools to implement poetry into their schools. And this is for grades 9 through 12, the high school competition. We have local Poetry Out Loud hosts that will have their own competition, and that person advances to the regional. So I host the regional competition, and we would love to get as many high school students involved in this as possible. And the anthology is really rich, has lots of varying themes and artists that you can recite, and there's an option to share your own poems as well at the state and national level. And we've also incorporated that at the regional level. One of the things to consider when I think about these kinds of events is these are the kinds of events and activities that you remember. You don't remember everything from your K-12 experience, but you, if you participate in Poetry Out Loud or some of these other things that you mentioned, that's something that you always look back on. And I think for some students, it would be a springboard, that encouragement that they need, that they this may be something that they want to pursue, or at least build their confidence to move on with other other areas of their lives. So I think that these kinds of activities, I know it's kind of an extra step for a lot of teachers to to take on, but I think they're well worth it. And the reward for the students is, I think uh, they are immense. Yes. Different skills come out when you compete in this. Last year's regional winner, her name was Anaya. She just did this on a whim, but she had such a valuable experience from it. It kind of changed her way of thinking about poetry and recitation and standing in front of people with a microphone. And our runner up, the mom was at the ceremony last year in tears. She had no idea her daughter was even involved or could speak so eloquently and such poise. It's fantastic program. It, it makes me think of one thing that I, I often say on this podcast, usually in regards to technology, but it's true with the arts too, is there are a lot of students who have not had success in the traditional models of schooling that we have. And with the reading, maybe the reading and writing is not uh, great, or there could be all kinds of reasons. Maybe they're just not connected, but for a lot of students, arts are that springboard for them to be successful. And I've seen this in my experience with educational technology where students are 
saying, well, this kid is coming to me for help at school. This has never happened before. And it just, it's transformative. Just having those positive experiences at school can be such a, again, to use the word springboard, uh, something that can really help students to advance in, in other areas as well. Yes, and building on that, Scott, there's also the use of technology in Poetry Out Loud. Students are recording themselves on tape. So there's this iterative process that they can go through to make sure that what they're submitting is the best that they can do. So they are cutting tape. They're making, they're not supposed to edit it. It's supposed to be raw footage. But they get to be judged virtually which I think is an equity issue here in, in such a large county of Los Angeles. I want to make sure every student's eligible to compete, whether they live in Pomona, Lancaster, Long Beach, or Los Angeles. That kind of levels the playing field for all of our schools. Then you also have the performance element, you bring in the drama into it. This is why poetry falls under the arts. It's because of that dramatic interpretation of literature that the students can bring. And, and do other forms of writing fall under the arts? Creative writing, script writing. That's a whole little genre there, right? And that's There's a lot of pre-production happening in film and animation where you have to do not only storyboarding, which is creating images of the shots you want to have, but you also have to write a script in a certain fashion to go along with the different shots. There's That's also a critique and um, self-reflection, as well as artist statements. For visual arts, you usually have an artist statement that describes either the process of what you did to create art or tells the story of the image that they're showcasing. And just to bring that heightened level of I guess, intensity and focus to something. So if it's something that where the students perceive it as more high stakes, they're going to bring that intensity and focus, and that shows them what's possible because sometimes the school students are not bringing that hundred percent of their focus and, and effort to tasks at school. But when you have these kinds of events where peers or others are viewing them, that heightens their motivation. So I think that's, that's another factor too. Yeah. And I think there's a, a connection to uh, real life and the kind of experiences that you're going to have in your future, you know, in your professional life or in your work life that uh, there, there is the, always this sense of um, preparing to perform, preparing to compete and in, diff in different ways and, and, and being able to manage the, the stress and anxiety and the balancing with the rewards and the, the personal growth that you might go through. This is all part of the California art standards for each of the discipline areas. So in the visual arts, you're presenting your artwork, having the show, putting the frame around the artwork, learning how to mat it, learning how to place artwork. This is a standard in visual arts. And for media arts, it's about producing you. And with the performing arts, as well as media arts and visual arts, you got to have an audience to complete that learning circle. I know, I know some students might be apprehensive about that part of it, but that's where you're also going to get some of the biggest rewards. You're going to learn how much you've grown since the beginning. When I was taught band, we would I would record the kids 
the first day of school, the squawk on the mouthpiece and play it for the parents at back to school night. And then by the December concert, they're playing full songs and the parents were just so proud and the kids were proud and everybody starts at the beginning. It's a journey. It is a process, but performance and presenting and production is also part of that journey. And I think another benefit of that is students' perception of audience. So I know when I students create video games on Scratch, I would they would perceive it as for people just like them. So a 12-year-old boy would make it for other 12-year-old boys, but their audience for many of these things is going to be larger and more diverse. So having students consider how do I appeal to a wider range of of people that is a very valuable skill that I think is applicable everywhere and anywhere. And that's also part of the design process, right? In engineering, or if we're talking about STEAM here, we, we want to know who is the audience? Right? So, or who's going to be the user? That is a, a great way to expand how we're connecting to others. Exactly. So again, this is a, another great example of the integration, uh, bringing the design process into STEM and STEAM and the arts. I think that's really wonderful. One of the things I'd like to talk about is the collaboration across units at LACO. I know when I started at LACO seven years ago, that your side of the street was referred to as the other side of the street. And our building is across the street. And there was very little collaboration between, let's say, ITO and curriculum departments so now you and you know we us three and others have been collaborating across units making some great things happen could you talk a little bit about more of those collaborations yes i think this has been fantastic laco is a very large organization and i'm sure school districts can relate and people in business can relate to that as well it is wonderful to seek out the expertise of others on similar projects. So I know I've worked with Scott, we worked on the media arts for elementary classrooms, you presented on media literacy, you attended those sessions and learned how to integrate media arts into elementary classrooms. And Mark and I, we've worked on Teal, we've also worked on AI and the arts, and it's been so rewarding. I can also lean on you for your expertise, either on the ed tech side or on the content side, and then you can also lean on me for the arts side. Also had good collaborations with ETN, with producing some of our films and supporting audio visual with, um, I think that's IT. They support our events sometimes in person. And I think that has a lot to do just with where I'm at. I'm in the Center for Distance and Online Learning. Daddy Asais has set up a good model here in curriculum and instructional services. So. I think it's behooves us all. Communications has been a wonderful partner as well in messaging out and sharing stories about the arts and students in our community. So reach out. If you're not an expert, it's okay to ask somebody else for help. I think that's a great, great way to get more connections going and start on something small. I, I want to add too that you are involved with the computer science, uh, what's called the eWig grant. I Another acronym, uh, workforce. <laughs> Don't ask me something. what that means. Educational right. workforce integration grant. That could be completely wrong. Anyway, uh, 
one would not imagine that a visual and performing arts coordinator would be involved with something with computer science, but I think it's wonderful that you are. Uh, did you want to speak to that at all? Computer science, coding, game design, graphic design all fall under media arts and as well as digital learnings, just from where I live in, in LACO, in the Center for Distance and Online Learning. So yes, we are both on that computer science group. That is a area of growth for me and expanding. And I'm, I'm glad to support it uh, with systems and see where it takes us this year. Well, it's very exciting and efforts like that and all the things that you're doing are, I think, truly transformative. And I think the work that you do can have a, a huge impact in teachers' lives and in students' lives. And I, I, we all appreciate all that you do. And I know you're going to keep on uh, working hard to, to make these things happen and implement these new initiatives and ensure arts uh, wherever, wherever possible. So we want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us today. And I know our listeners will really appreciate this conversation. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, everyone. The ITIL coordinators thank you for listening to this episode of Tech Lasso. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast. Also, follow us on social media. The links are in the show notes. Thank you again, and let us know how we are doing.